0: Star Wars 7x7 episode 1798. Today, we're wrapping up our conversation about ILM head Rob Bredo's book on the making of Solo, a Star Wars story, and we're going to be talking about the post-production section of the movie's making, including new technology that was developed by ILM, changes that Ron Howard made in post-production, and a couple of very heartfelt tributes and stories as well. Let's go. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode where, as I said at the top, we're going to talk about some post-production stuff, but we're also going to talk about a couple of things that don't necessarily fit quite neatly into that post-production phase of the story, of the creation of Solo, a Star Wars story. And I'll talk about a couple of those right off the top. And they involve Kathleen Kennedy. First of all, there's a note from Rob Bredo at the end of the book where he talks about the possibility that you know maybe doing the book isn't a good idea because of the challenges that the film saw with you know Lord Miller's exit and Ron Howard being brought on and whatnot. and that Kathleen Kennedy was a champion for doing the book even in the face of those challenges. And I gotta say I'm really glad that Kathleen Kennedy was a champion of it because the book itself is amazing as I've been saying over the past couple of days. and I shared a few, bits of the book with Scorekeeper Declan and Quizmaster Joe, who were my kids, of course. And they were rather blown away at some of the elements of movie making that they learned about by going through the book and by me sharing things that I've been sharing with you here on the podcast. And so yeah, without Kathleen Kennedy's encouragement and insistence, in fact, that this book get done, then I, I feel like there is a lot about the making of movies today that we just have no idea about. And sure, you know, I'm sure other movies get these kind of, you know, movie making, behind the scenes treatments, you you know, here and there. But I think Star Wars, more than any other movie, really makes you know, makes a serious effort to document the work that's happening in pre-production and in post-production, as well as, you know, during principal photography, like, there's really no other movie franchise that's also, you know, laid the process bare the way the Star Wars franchise has, and so I think it's incredibly valuable that we have this book, and I'm very thrilled that Kathleen Kennedy went to bat for it. And also there is a wonderful note from Kathleen Kennedy in the book about Alison Shermer who was one of the producers on the film and who unfortunately passed away from cancer earlier this year. The tribute in there is just absolutely beautiful and talks about Alison's contributions not just to you know this particular movie but just how she approached all of her work in producing movies and you know her own personal stuff too just you know her you know lust for life and the way that she went about you know dealing with everyone involved in the production there were just so many beautiful things said about Allison and so I'm very grateful that that tribute was included in the book as well as far as the actual post production work goes One of the biggest curveballs, I think, that came up in this whole thing is the fact that Ron Howard changed the Kessel Run, and in a significant way. Initially, the Kessel Run was supposed to be a navigation through the inside of a carbonberg, and that's basically like a giant iceberg in space, right? And the whole concept of the Kessel Run was based on the notion of a pirate ship going into the midst of a hurricane. At least that's how it's explained by John Casden, as he's explaining, you know, the development of the script and the idea of the Kessel Run and how it would be, you know, visualized and brought to screen. But Ron Howard was actually very enamored with the idea of having a giant monster at the center of this whole thing. And so instead of doing a crazy navigation through a Carbonberg's insides, it was changed during post-production to be a crazy navigation through this maelstrom and with a giant monster chasing them in the midst of the process. And so... Yeah, that was rather shocking and amazing to consider that even with the tight timeline that they had for post-production, that they basically had to invent a whole new sequence and redo the whole thing. And there's some great detail about how they structured the shots that they created and trying to limit the major parts of the action to specific sections of the screen as you're watching it as a viewer, so that way even if they're making very quick cuts that are like a third of a second long, that you would still be able to feel the action. And you know, similarly, there's conversation about the, you know, the Vandor train heist. And I remember reading a review from a very highfalutin movie critic that said that the Vandor train heist sequence was one of the most, uh, oh gosh, what was the word that they used? Um, basically was one of the most coherent action sequences in other words that it was so very well thought through from beginning to end and that you had a very complete picture of how it was unfolding and that there were no real gaps in your experience of it and that I think is probably one of the highest compliments you can give to an action sequence aside from just you know the you know the look of it and the feel of it and making sure that it looks authentic but Also, having it be a coherent storytelling situation, too, is pretty awesome. Anyway, so, yeah, they managed to be able to entirely reinvent the Kessel Run in post-production and pull it off. And so, yeah, you get more of the story about that in the ILM book. All right, just a couple more stories from the book, and then we'll call it a series. Uh, As far as new technology developed, well, Dryden Voss's scars, which... You know, uh, you know, I've heard some back and forth about it. I kind of thought it was fascinating, and apparently it's an extension of technology that ILM developed for The Revenant, which was that movie that featured Leonardo DiCaprio getting absolutely mauled by a bear, which was like, oh, that was horrific. But the scarring that showed up on Dryden's face, that scarring, I guess, that they used for Leonardo DiCaprio, the technique that they used to do that for The Revenant, they had to expand and build on it in order to implement the scarring on Dryden Voss's face, on Paul Bettany's face. And there were no markers on Paul Bettany at all during his performance in Solo A Star Wars Story. Like, when they were filming him, he had no, like, special makeup or paint or, you know, like, visual effects markers or anything like that. They just wrote algorithms to, you know, trace his face inside the screen and then have those things show up on his face, which is pretty remarkable, all things considered. And there's another story about the holochest table, the Djaric table, on the Millennium Falcon, and the fact that way back in the original Star Wars, aka A New Hope, that George Lucas looked at the little figures that were the chess pieces, the models on the table, and initially thought when it was set up that it was looking a little crowded, and so there were two figures that were removed from it. Well, they still had those models, and so for Solo A Star Wars Story, they brought in Phil Tippett, who's, you know, the original guy to do the hollow chess table scene and if you look very carefully apparently when Chewie gets mad at the hollow chess table and bangs on it a couple of buttons fall off and a couple of characters disappear off the table and supposedly it's those two characters that George Lucas had said uh you know these look like it makes it a little too crowded and had removed from the table when it was presented in A New Hope so (laughs) I thought that was a really cool detail I'm going to take a quick break now and share one last story which was a super inspirational story and I actually shared it with my son who is a junior in high school thinking about college. So (laughs) I'll share that with you here in just a moment. Stay tuned. Hey Rebel Rouser. If you've got a business that needs to reach a dedicated audience of Star Wars fans, or you know somebody who does, then you might want to reach out to me. <laughs> I've got a show that reaches thousands of people between the audio version, the video version, and our social media channels. And I'd love to find out how I can help you with your business ventures too. Just reach out at sw7x7.com sponsors. That's plural S-P-O-N-S-O-R-S. That's sw7x7.com sponsors. And let's see how we can work together. Welcome back. All right, so in the solo book from ILM, there's a story about a gentleman named Masa Narita, and he actually shares his own story. He's a senior modeler at ILM, and he tells the story of how... He very much wanted to work in Hollywood, but he grew up in Japan, and at the time that he grew up in Japan, or was growing up, it was very rare, it was practically unheard of for Japanese nationals to come over to the United States to work in Hollywood, so he said that he abandoned his dream of working in Hollywood, and for 20 years, he worked In Japan, ultimately, he was working in the IT department of a Japanese brokerage firm when he finally decided, at the age of 46 years old, to just quit everything and pursue his dream. And he came to the United States and went to CG school, presumably computer graphics school, it just says CG school in the book, and after working in the industry for several years, he finally got his dream job, which was to work on Star Wars. And... It's such an incredible, inspirational story, and my 16-year-old son, who is thinking about college but isn't necessarily sure what he wants to do and what he wants to take in college, well, you know, I shared this story with him and said, hey, you know, whatever it is that you're deciding to do at age 16, at age 18, 20, 30, there's a chance that you might end up thinking about something else and wanting to do something else, and you can change your mind and change your life just like nasa Morita did and at the age of 46 quit everything and worked many years until now presumably in his 50s is working at industrial light and magic his dream job so what a beautiful story and You know, stuff like that, aside from the beautiful photographs that Rob took and have in the book, apparently nearly 30,000 different photos that he took that were, you know, culled and curated down to create this book. Some wonderful stories are actually shared in there, too. And so I cannot recommend the book highly enough. Again, as I said earlier this week, You know, if you have any experience with the art of books for any of the movies, whether it's original trilogy, prequel trilogy, or the sequel movies, then I really do think that if you value those kind of books, this one is a must for your collection. And again, thank you to the folks at Abrams Books for sending me a copy to pour over at great length and detail. It's been a joy. And that is going to do it for this episode of the show. Thank you so much for joining me, as always. And may the Force be with you.